Before I begin, let me just paint the big picture once again. We're coming in and out of the season of Easter, and after Easter, we wanted to ask that important question, how does this change us? How does the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ affect the way that we live our lives? And to help us answer that question, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, where two weeks ago that we learned the most important part of our thankfulness to Christ for his death and resurrection is approaching God in prayer to take advantage of that restored and renewed relationship that we've had with the Lord, which has led us into this season of prayer, where in the morning we're looking at the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation of the Lord's Prayer, and in the evening we are specifically engaging in practices of prayer. And so last week we started with a look at the Lord's Prayer with the address, recognizing the privilege of being able to talk to God as our Father who is in heaven, acknowledging that relationship that we have with him and marveling at the care and love that he shows to us as a Father. And that's the point of the series. If we are baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how do we live into that relationship? Well, that's going to continue this morning as we look at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 47, and then Psalm 19. Both of the texts will be on the screen, but if you'd like to look them up, the page numbers are in the order of service. We'll start by looking at the Heidelberg Catechism. I will read the question and invite you to join with me responsively as we answer it together. So the Heidelberg Catechism asks, in regards to the Lord's Prayer, what does the first request mean? Hallowed be your name means, help us to really know you, to bless, worship, and praise you for all your works, and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means, help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. In light of that truth, we also look to the words of God's scripture, and we turn to Psalm 19, and I will read the entirety of that psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leading his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I was trying to elaborate my opening illustration, and I'd like to just encourage you that you think of yourself as a high school student. And for whatever reason, your parents invite you into an important decision that they're making about your home. They need a new fence. And so they're going to invite some people to the house to give some bids on that project, and they want your input on it. And so the first person shows up to bid on that project. And while they're walking with you on that project, they are constantly using curse words. They're speaking poorly and telling stories of, of old customers and mocking them in the way that they're speaking about them. They pepper in a couple of inappropriate jokes. But the quality of their friend's work is going to be really good and the price is going to be very good as well. And then a second person also comes to look at your fence. And when they arrive, you can tell immediately they're dressed professionally. They look at both you and your parents as they talk about the work that's going to take place, what needs to be done. They answer all of your questions well. The quality also is going to be really good. But the price might be a little bit higher than the other person that was bidding on the job. So after those two people come, your parents look to you and they say, okay, who do we give our money to? Who's going to do the job for us? Let's hold on to that question for just a little bit. We'll come to it, back to it later, but let's get into the, the meat of the text. I hope that you can agree with me that when we are praying, we're not going to get very far in our prayer if we don't understand what it is that we are saying. And that presents a potential problem for us right away at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer when we are invited by Jesus to pray to our Father in heaven saying, Hallowed be your name. There are a couple of challenges to understanding that, that phrase that we face. And so the whole point of my message this morning is to encourage us to better understand what we're saying when we use those words. So let's start with the word itself. First of all, that word hallowed, hallowed, is not one that we use very often. I have never heard anybody say, boy, that was a, a hallowed song we just sang, wasn't it? Or Man, that was, that was a hallowed message we heard the, the, the pastor preach to us this morning. I have heard, and it's kind of interesting, just this very week, someone referred to the hallowed halls of a particular place, but that's about it. And in fact, 
It's only in quoting the Lord's Prayer that the ESV ever uses this term in all of Scripture, which is just to suggest it's a very uncommon word in modern English. And so the first thing we have to do this morning is just to understand, to define that word together. And when you look it up in the dictionary, you would see that hollowed is an adjective, a descriptor. And what it means is for something to be sacred, holy, venerated, honored, glorified, and devoted. Things along that line. And so other more modern translations or more looser translations of the Bible might say things in the referring to the Lord's Prayer. May your name be kept holy or sanctified be your name or honored be your name. And so just to understand the term better, when we say hallowed be your name, we are praying that we would be able to recognize in prayer that our God that we are talking to and describing and wanting to know in prayer indeed is, as we have sung, a holy, holy, holy God, perfectly righteous, pure, and glorious, that we want to elevate his name which hopefully helps get us a little bit better to understanding not just the term, but why we are praying it, and I think just a, a bit closer. Because I think that beyond potential difficulty of just the word itself, there is a common misunderstanding of why that word is being used. Because this comes at the start of the prayer, it's possible to assume that when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are just continuing and expanding on the address of the prayer. So again, last week, we talked about the privilege of being able to call God our Father in heaven. To be so blessed as to have that kind of caring parental relationship with the God of heaven. What amazing thing to be able to address, to address God with the, that kind of infinite, intimate familial and familiar type of a term. And so for some then, the thought goes like this. After using that more familiar language with God, maybe we're just quickly being reminded to not take that intimacy too far. To remember that the God that we are invited to call Father is also the God who created everything that exists by speaking it into existence. To recognize that he is the God that has established and destroyed nations. That he is the God that angels cover their faces in the presence of and that no human could ever see and live. And so the thought process kind of goes like this, that at the beginning of the prayer, we're doing this kind of pendulum shift, a little bit of a, a dance, where we are invited to, on the one hand, recognize that we are invited to know God and call him Father, but not to get too intimate with him and also acknowledge and call him holy, glorified, and honored. And in some ways, that's how the catechism starts when it talks about what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. Catechism says that to pray this is asking that we help to really know God, to know his power, 
his wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth, and to bless, worship, and praise God for all of those things that he is. And that's what we've been doing in worship so far, singing songs like, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, acknowledging his greatness and praising him for it. But it, in answering that way, that it helps us to really know God, it leads to a natural question, which is, well, how do we really know God? How do we know him for who he is? And this is where we start to bring in our text of Psalm 19. Psalm 19, hopefully, is a fairly well-known and familiar psalm to many of you. And it's a psalm that talks about and answers the question, how do we really know God? And it starts by saying that we can know God through his creation. This is what we call general revelation. The psalm starts by saying that the heavens... The sun, the moon, and the many billions of stars are always saying something. That in a certain sense, they are constantly communicating to us human beings. They are speaking throughout the globe in every language at every moment of the day something about God. And what are the heavens saying day after day, night after night, in every single language? They're declaring that there is a God who stands behind everything that exists. A God powerful enough to speak your son into existence and so big that our son is just one star among the billions and trillions and keep going beyond that. And yet that God has set that sun in order and makes sure and determines that it rises and sets at the same moment that has been determined by his commands. That it brings heat to us and it brings food to the plants. It sustains us and carries us. And it reveals that our God is a God who is glorious, who is powerful, who is a God who likes and contains and maintains order. A God of beauty and design. As we sang in one of our songs, the universe declares the majesty of God. There is a God. Everyone needs to know him, recognize him, and worship him. And that is what is being proclaimed by the heavens and how we can know him. But what is more, after highlighting what creation is saying in the first six verses, in verses 7 through 11, the psalm transitions to another way of knowing God. Not only do we know about him through his creation, but the word of God, his law, also speaks and is also helping us to really know God. This is what we call special revelation. And so when you look, what does the law reveal about God? Well, let's start with the law proper, God's commandments for our lives. And that reveals that just as God has set up laws for nature and how it can be governed and thrive, he has laws for us. 
directions and decrees that will help us know how best and to live in this world as he created it. Which is why when we look to God, he has told us, if you want a good life in this world, these are the things you should do and this is what you should not do. And our psalm praises God for that direction, for that decree. It recognizes it as a blessing for everyone who understands it and submits to it. But when you also take that concept of the law in a more Old Testament way of looking at it and recognizing that it's not just the decrees of God, but it is the whole explanation of who God is. And it spells out that the God that we see in creation, who he is in more detail. What he wants from us, why he created you. How, when we fell into sin, he continues to pursue us and have a relationship with us. It spells out and explains in stories and in details the way that we are invited into a relationship to him. And so, going back to our prayer, again, the idea could seem, it could seem to be that at the start of the Lord's prayer and all of our prayers, we are invited to know and recognize that we can have a close relationship with God, but we also should never forget to venerate and honor him as an important part of how we address God. And yet, as important as all of that is to know and to recognize in our understanding and approach to God, it still doesn't really answer the question of why we are invited to pray, hallowed be your name, in the Lord's Prayer. Because although understanding and addressing God as the holy God that he is, is important, notice the difference between the way that the Catechism asked last week that why did, God command, why did Christ command us to call God our Father? It doesn't then follow by asking, and why did God Christ command us to call God hallowed? Instead, it asks, what does the first request mean? Meaning that when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are not saying something about God, but we are requesting something. And that puts a whole different twist on the whole thing. Because it's one thing to know and address God as holy, as hallowed, but it's something completely different to ask, request that God's name be hallowed. So again, we're back to our fundamental question. What does it mean to pray, to request that the name of God be hallowed? And to understand the answer to that important question, let's keep going with Psalm 19. Again, the psalm is talking about how we know God, and it starts with our, the revelation of creation, and then it moves to the word of God, the statutes and commands spelled out. These two things speak of the greatness and gloriness of God, but it doesn't stop there. The psalm ends in the last 12 verses by then shifting the focus to me. And I too am a part of God's creation. And in a very literal way, I have a voice that can speak about God. People can learn by watching me about the God that I serve. 
And so the psalm ends with this prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The prayer of the psalm is that just as the heavens are pointing to God and telling us about him, and just as the scriptures, God's law and his word, is revealing the truth of God, may I too, in what I say, in how I think, in how I live, also bring glory to God's holy name. But that's where I have to ask. Well, what about me? If someone did just watch me like they watch creation, what would they learn about God from observing my life? When I speak, what do I say about God? What do the things that I think about and dwell on in my heart and in my head reveal about God? What about my tendencies to ignore his laws and his special revelation? Is my voice, are my thoughts pleasing to God? Especially when compared to what the heavens so faithfully proclaim. And those can be terribly uncomfortable and difficult questions to ask, especially in light of this sermon series. And in light of that, let's go back to that opening illustration about those two potential fence builders that have bid on the project. In the end, I'm guessing that although the second one was a little bit more expensive, that that price would be willing to be paid compared to the way that the other person presented themselves and represented their company when they were visiting you and putting a bid on the job. And I, I say that because I know of many people who won't eat at certain restaurants, not because they don't like the food. They won't shop at certain stores, not because they don't like the products that they sell. They won't work with certain companies, not because they don't think that they do good work, but they avoid all of those things because of negative and bad experiences that they have had with individuals that represent that company. And because of those negative experiences, they have decided, I'm not going to go and do business with that type of company, if that's the kind of person that they employ. And as soon as we say that about companies and businesses, we have to sadly recognize the, the reality that the same goes for people in the church and even with their relationship with God. And we know of and we have heard of stories of people that have walked away from the church and have walked away from God, not because they don't appreciate what the church has offered to them or the God that they want to know and serve, but because of the way that individuals who claim a relationship with God have represented him negatively. As we have said so very often when we come to this baptismal font, there is that incredible privilege of that promise that God makes to us. I will be your God and you will be my people. And for us, there is so much great and wonderful comfort in that incredible promise. 
But let's also recognize that there is a huge risk for God when he chooses to associate with us that closely. When he says, I will allow you to be called by my name, a Christian. I will ask you to go into this world and represent me and present me to a world that doesn't know me. And when we look at the Bible, we see others that were connected to God through that kind of a covenant. And we recognize that there were many times that they did not bring honor to his name. Kings that rather than living for him and exalting him, wanted to exalt themselves to prosper financially with glory and power and didn't want to share that with God. A nation that God rose up in order to be a light, an example to the other nations that were around them that far too often, instead of being different and holy, set apart, just fell into the same patterns as everybody else because they didn't want to stand out and look different. And then again, we look at our own lives and we know that we've done the very same thing. That in the attitude of Psalm 19, when people have watched how we speak, how we live, what we've said about God and how we've represented him, that's not always been as a hallowed, glorious, powerful, and holy God. But at times, maybe often, we've not brought honor and glory to his name by the way that we have presented him to others. When Martin Luther, that great Reformation leader, reflected on this request that God's name be hallowed, he asked the logical question, well, isn't God's name always hallowed? Isn't he glorious and wonderful at all times? And then he answered his own question by saying, yes, God is always holy and his name is always hallowed, but... Through baptism, we have been joined to God's name, and therefore we must protect it. And regretfully, God's name is often profaned through the wicked deeds of Christians. Which is why the Catechism says in, that when we pray, hallowed be your name, it also means that we need to and want to help to direct all of our living what we think, say, and do so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. One commentator on this passage brought it to a head when he said, the worst thing that my life could ever be would be an obstacle between anyone and God. But the best thing that I can do with my life is to be a stepping stone from someone to God. So when we think about how we pray, we should remember that prayers are not just words that we say at a particular moment when our heads are bowed and our hands are folded. But when we pray, it should lead us into action. We ask God to do something, and then we go to work to bring it about. We, we ask, and then we act. And that's how it is with this request. Not only do we pray that God's name be hallowed, honored, uplifted, and glorified, but we ask that God help us to work to hallow, honor, and uplift his great name 
through our thoughts, words, and actions. And ultimately, that is what we are asking for with this quest, that, this request that God's name be hallowed. That is what we mean when we pray these words, that because we have been connected to God in baptism, that all that we do and say in life will honor his great and glorious name. Which hopefully fulfills that desire to help you better understand what it is that you're praying for when you ask, hallowed be your name. But it also leaves a huge gap between what I am able to say this morning and what comes afterwards. That gap of figuring out what it means for you to live in the coming days that will honor God's name in the presence of the world. So I encourage you to ask, who's watching you? In your house, at your work, at the grocery store and behind the wheel of the car, in your neighborhoods and communities, who is watching you to try to figure out what is the God that they serve look like and what difference does it make for them in how they live lives and make decisions? And then in light of that, what words do you need to say more often? And what words do you need to use much less? What thoughts do you need to fill your mind with and what needs to be driven away when it comes to your relationship with God? So after addressing God as our Father, our prayer starts not by asking God to look out for us and to bless us, but instead our prayer should start by asking that we might be a blessing to God. That we would always not only recognize God's great holiness, righteousness, and perfect being, but that we would also live to promote and proclaim his glorious name to those that are watching. Toward that end, let's continue in our prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that we would know you as you are, in knowing you as a mighty, powerful, gracious, righteous, and holy God, that you would always receive our praise, glory, and honor for who you are. We pray that this might be true every time we join together as a congregation for worship. We pray that it would be true in our homes. We pray that you would be honored in all of our lives. Father, forgive us for when we have dishonored your name. Forgive us for singing songs that were meant to bring you glory, but then leaving here and living lives that don't at all reflect that we are your children or do so in a negative way. And we do pray that in this coming week, you would open our eyes more and more to your greatness so that we can praise you and then more and more that we might represent you well to a world that wants to know who you are. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.